Welcome back to the Comeback Podcast. As usual, I am your host, Connor, and today I'm joined by two recurring guests, Nick, who's been on about 30 times now, and period two, or episode two, of Ricky Law, who was on episode 252 with Mental Health Awareness, an episode which received great feedback, and I'm looking forward to delving into another topic today. Both of these gentlemen are friends of mine and are soon entering new chapters in their lives, which is what we're going to discuss, as well as following it on from the key themes that were mentioned in episode one. Nick, Rick, welcome. How are you? Yo, yo, what's up? Yo, hi. I'm good. Yeah, I think, as we just mentioned, let's start with where we're at in our lives. So one of you, whichever, can go first. Nick, where you at with your life right now? So right now, like in the transition phase, ending a three-year stay in Saigon and about to go back to my hometown. To say exactly is Centerville, Virginia, which is in Northern Virginia. And uh, yeah, I see my family after three years. So that's coming up pretty soon. Yeah, that's so sweet. And yourself, Ricky? Yeah, so I've been, <clears throat> excuse me. I've been in Vietnam for two years and I'm also at transition phase. I'm going back to Hong Kong. Hopefully I'll be back to Hong Kong to see my family for a few months and try to maybe go to Taiwan or any other country to work. I see. Yeah. And we spoke a lot about your background in Hong Kong and the last time, yeah. which as I mentioned, and I'm not saying this to blow smoke, yeah. it went really well. I thought the whole episode was great. And this is why you're coming back on the comeback. Yeah. So with that, our new chapters, yeah. I'm in a slightly different position. I'm staying here and yeah. I, I might stay here for a while. This hit me yesterday. This might, I might be here for years. We'll see. Okay. But I guess. How are you feeling then overall? I don't know who to start with. I think we'll go back to Nick then. What, how are you feeling about this new challenge then? Going back to Virginia three years on. It feels like it's something inevitable that had to happen eventually. Although like, I think I might be in my hometown for about six or seven months, but I feel like that might be a long time. Right. <laughs> but maybe that's even a more reason to stay for the whole six or seven months. Cause I don't know, like in my hometown, I never really felt at home before. So, but this time I'm consciously going back to this place with a whole different way of being aware of my own mind and whatnot. Yeah. And yeah, I'll be meeting people all over again. Yeah. Hi mom. This is the updated me. (laughs) You knew me three years ago. Yeah. This is my energy now. It's different than before. Are there any key themes that you're looking to explore or anything you want to find out or can you not discuss here? Like in regards to family or in general? I'd say in general. I want to see how I react or not react, but respond this time, how I will respond to the way people behave in Northern Virginia, which is usually not their true self. They try to be fake nice all the time, which I get it as part of the culture that people are pressured to do that. Mm-hmm. But so let's see how I respond to that challenge. And will I have, will I be annoyed, not annoyed? Like maybe just the first week and then I'll be okay. I noticed too, like when I lived in Peru in 2015 and I moved back to Virginia, like the first like month or so, I felt like super like. I was on a different speed than everybody else. Like I stayed in Lima, Peru, which is a big city, really fast paced city. And I became a fast paced person like in Saigon. Yeah. And my hometown is really slow. <laughs> it's a suburb. So I was always like just super quick, faster than everybody else for the first month. And then I, then my speed decreased to everybody else's and I was like, oh, I'm just one of you again. See, yeah. <laughs> one thing you mentioned, which I like respond and not react. What yeah. are the differences between the two? Yeah. Because like. Reaction is like, is autopilot, right? You trigger me and I just immediately yep. react to whatever the first emotion that comes to my mind. But this time I'm sure I'll get triggered by something. And then before I make an action, I'll think about, wait a second, like where's this coming from? Yeah. <laughs> something like that. I like that. I like that stuff. 
Excuse me. And Ricky, then let's go to you. How are you feeling about this new chapter in Hong Kong? I believe. So, um, going back to Hong Kong, it's a lot of mixed feelings. Like if you listen to the first forecast that a lot of my trauma started in Hong Kong. So it's definitely not going to be easy going back to Hong Kong, but at the same time, I feel like I, I, I do. It's a good, it's, it's a necessary move to go back to Hong Kong because my family's there. I feel like it's COVID time, having my family there would be great. But at the same time, I have to live with six people in my house and the space in Hong Kong is really limited. So I have to even share one room with my mom and living in a bunk back. So it's going to be challenging mm. for sure. But I feel like this time is going to be a different time because I've been in Vietnam for two years. Mentally, I've grown so much. I feel like I'm mentally stronger now. So it's, it's going to be interesting. It's like a experiment. I'm going to experiment with my new mental health state, how uh, all the resources that I've learned in Vietnam, how I'm going to use that for Hong Kong. So I, I'm going to be interested. What's your spatial awareness like usually? Are you quite claustrophobic or how do you mind having to share with six people? Um, Is that something that's daunting for you. Okay. So before I came to Vietnam, I was in Canada for almost 15 years. And then I went back to Hong Kong for around four or five years before I came to Vietnam. It, it was difficult for me because there was so much space in Canada and so much freedom. And as soon as I went back to Hong Kong, I feel like the relationship with my family was a little bit, how to say it, not as good as I expected. It was like, I, I easily went into argument with my brother. Because I'm so used to living by myself, doing things by my, my own way, I'm so free. I don't need to, for example, put things away uh, right away. But my brother really cared and he will like sometimes yell at me or tell me not to do something. And I get really defensive about it or sometimes when I'm so stressed that I don't talk to my family at all. So I feel like, <clears throat> sorry, at the beginning it was difficult, but now I feel like because I've learned so much here. I feel like it will be so much better because I, I really want to communicate with my family more and I will talk to them. Like, I want them to understand that I've been living by myself for so long. There are going to be ways that like the ways I do things will be different uh, to them. So I'm going to just communicate with them so that they can understand me and also I can understand them more. Mm -hmm. So the conflict will be less this time. Yeah. I think I asked you this on the first episode, if I did forgive me. What's the key lesson you've learned from being in Vietnam about yourself? Would you say? Okay. Yeah. So first don't care about the little things too much because there's always going to be annoying things going on around. I used to stress little things a lot. Yes. And also fear Like I used to have a lot of now I've been working on, on fear. So I'm going to continue working on it and try, I would try to speak up. If there's things like I see that I don't like, or that's not right about me, I will definitely speak up. I will. Yeah, tell my family or friends how, about how I feel or how things should go. If they're not right, I, I might tell them. Just understand each other better. Mm. Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can imagine. And this isn't something that I've going to face for a while and like going mm -hmm. back to old roots, but old issues might resurface. Are you slightly, this is to both of you, mm -hmm. are you slightly, slightly worried about that? Having the old emotions, the old you almost, because for you it was two years, for you three, since you've been in that environment. How do you feel about old issues resurfacing? I'll start with you, Ricky. That's a good question. I didn't think about it as much, but I do feel like, yeah, it might resurface. I just have to be more conscious and mindful about it. Yeah. Maybe sometimes I, I just have to quiet down and ob observe how I feel and what memory came up and then 
from that on, I just have to learn new ways to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So ob- observe is just one of the, the best ways to observe without judgment. So just observe what came into my head, what emotion I'm, I am experiencing, and then be patient and find new ways to deal with it. Right. Nice. And yourself. I'm looking at it like through a metaphor of like, you're swimming in the ocean and a big wave is coming at you. When you try to run away from it, you can't, right? If you're waist deep in the water, you can't outrun away. Better outrun, you just get wrecked. So I'm just going to go straight into it and see how my new skills can respond in that situation and see what other new skills I learned about. Yeah. So just dive head first. This is a, a bit like Goggins, what we talked about, where face the suffering. Because yeah. it will be a challenge, definitely. Yeah. Where I think the same with Vietnam, it's easy to, not easy, but it's easier to face your fears here when you're in the environment that you're comfortable with. When you go back to the environment you left, that's where you're tested. Do the skills transfer and you, like, you'll find out. We're going back to the environment where we came from and we're going back to the people that installed all, like, all the toxic beliefs in our mind, even though they didn't meet to, mm. but they did by, it just got passed on. Conditioning, yeah. Even like, from their parents and their parents, from their parents up to us. So now, what, how do we res- uh, respond to that? Do we keep going or do we just end it right? Yeah, I like that. That sounds like the word I regularly use, responsibility, where beliefs will get passed down from generations and great grandparents to great yeah. to now, and we have to fix it. If it's been passed on to us and now we are aware, we then have the responsibility to fix it, which you can see as daunting, but you can also see as empowering that yeah. it stops with you. You are the one that could make a change for your kids, your grandkids, etc. There's something really profound about that. It's, let's see how I respond to anybody in my family, especially the, like the ones closest to us have like the, the most ability to hurt us. So let's see how, uh, I respond when somebody close to me in my family tells me something that's like self-limiting to myself or, something, or that brings me down. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Can we flip it? It's going to be a test. And this is a question for both, uh, perhaps go again with the unit. Oh family members or people you're close to in your respective hometowns familiar with these issues like mental health, like non-dualism, et cetera. Are they familiar or? Non-dualism, definitely not. Right. Okay. Uh, mental health stuff, maybe to some degree, like psychologist stuff, some basic psychologist stuff, maybe. Some more than, yeah, think about it. That's right. I feel like my mom had more awareness about mental health issues now. Because she listened to more broadcasts online in YouTube. And also I always talk about mental health with my mom. So I feel like that she understands about what I've been through on mental health. And also she's more aware for sure because of the, um, because of her own mental health issues and also because of the broadcast. I see. Sweet. And one thing that I've got in my notes here is decision-making, which we've spoken about briefly. I'll get to you, Ricky, if that's okay. What for you is your process of making decisions? How do you deal with decision-making in general on a daily basis? Yes, that's, that's was my struggle for the longest time in my life because I am the youngest at home. I'm the baby. So my parents always make the decision for me since young. Like even when I was studying in Hong Kong for a while and then they wanted to send me back to Canada, I didn't have a choice to choose not to or, or, or yes or no. They just make the decision for me. So for the longest time, I always struggle with decision making. So I always go back and forth and I always so afraid of the unknown and I always think about the unknown too much. That really hinder my uh, decision making ability. Also because of uh, fear. I used to have so much fear because of my past um, trauma 
than my past experience associated with Hong Kong or my parents. It, it really affected my, my ability to advance in life because of that decision making. So I'll give you an example. My decision making was still really bad, like before, before lockdown, like six months ago, I, I had to make the decision to stay in my previous company of Relax. And I was uh, having so much trouble. Like I, I, it took me like a few months. Like I still couldn't make that decision because I had so much fear. Because I, I was fearful of I would be sent back to my country or I have to leave, or if I would able to handle the, the crazy amount of work in my previous company. And also would I be able to handle like different people in the company? Uh, I was really afraid of that. So I took so long to make the decision. And at the end, I want to uh, talk to the manager and see if the contract can be a little better. But at the end, I, I didn't do that. I, I actually ran away because I was so afraid of that company. Because there's a lot of pressure working in, in the company. My, my first response for fear usually is running away. That was a condition in my head. When I was bullied uh, young, all I did was just run. That's what I was doing usually. That's what I respond. So that was a big problem because after running away, I couldn't find a job for a long time. I didn't have, have a lot of money. I was having money issues. Yes. And also I try, I also, I, I do work on my fear and I was so much better. I can face all the challenges and yeah, challenges from a previous company. I wanted to go back to work. I was ready. And then that was a, how, how do I say that when an opportunity was gone, mm. sometimes it doesn't come back because I try to go back. It was visa issue. It was work permit issue. And then after COVID, they told me they're not hiring anymore. So this taught me a lesson is when you take so long to make a decision, when an opportunity passed, sometimes it doesn't come back. Yeah. And how do you manage that nowadays? How do you become a bit more decisive? Oh, yes. That's a, okay. So I actually did something really helpful and I suggest people to do it. Meditation. So what I did was I used um, those guided meditation in YouTube. You can just put out uh, decision-making, guided meditation. Those meditation are really helpful for me. So one time I, I have to make a decision, I forgot what, what it was, oh, to stay in Vietnam or to go back to Hong Kong. So those uh, meditation was really good at first. They will help you to center yourself first. They use different methods to center yourself. Like after the first half of the meditation, after you center yourself, Finally, you, that they will ask you to close your eyes and imagine all the options you have, like option one, option two, option three, and so on. And then they want you to imagine you're in that option, living in that option. How do you feel in that option? How do you feel? And with that feeling, you will be more clear on which decision is best for you. So I did close my eyes and imagine staying in Vietnam and work for a job there or going back to Hong Kong. And when I was picturing myself going back to Hong Kong and seeing my family, I was crying because I feel like it was a tough year because of COVID. I do need my family. So I choose to go back to Hong Kong. Right. I always made that decision. It was really quick this time, like one hour and I made that decision. It was really powerful. Yeah. I like that because we are more connected to feelings mm -hmm. rather than thoughts. There is a quote that I find quite cringy, mm -hmm. but it's people won't remember what you said or did is how they made you feel. Now, I find it is a bit cheesy, but it does make sense. Like we do operate from a feelings perspective. So you visualizing Vietnam, Hong Kong, yeah. how we feel in each environment, not thinking, oh, that'd be cool and going with it because that's dangerous. That's a thought that might not be real, mm -hmm. but actually going with your emotion is a key thing. And I think you've done that effectively. If you can use the emotion effectively, it will be benefit for you. But sometimes if you have too much emotion, it might not be benefit for you. 
Mm. So you need to balance it and uh, make it benefit for you. How do you think you do that, if I may ask you? How do you stay grounded with your emotions? Again, just meditate. Centering yourself really helps. Yeah. And then close your eyes and quiet down yourself. And, and you can finally see clear about what emotion is real and what emotion is not useful. So you can yeah. distinguish. And have you heard either of you? Have you heard of a lady called Mel Robbins? I did. She's like an American kind of self-help person. I don't really know how to describe her, but she has a decision-making, like a five-second rule, which is where if you have a tough decision, it, it's a tough decision to make, five seconds, but also you high-five yourself as you do it. Now, it sounds quite ch cheesy again, but there's something in your brain somewhere that activates from the emotion of the high-five. So you're giving yourself self-love and also that five seconds, it gives you the time frame. So in, during that five-second countdown, you're the answer. Mm -hmm. Like when it goes five, four, what really you want to do? Mm -hmm. Like that, the first thing that pops into your head, it gives you away the answer. So that's another effective tool. So that's one thing. And also we spoke about the accountability mirror. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Either of you? I, I just starting to learn about it. So I don't know a lot, but how about you start first? Comment again. Yeah, I don't really have much to comment on it, but it seems like it sounds like you go to your mirror, you write down the things that you need to work on and just be straight up honest with yourself. Don't sugarcoat things. Don't say, oh, I'll be a little bit lazy. Are you being lazy? Yes, but. Be honest and tell yourself that and then let's see how you deal with that. Like, how do you fix that? But first you have to be honest with yourself. Yeah. And it's tricky when you are like, oh, I'm being slightly lazy. It's easy to hedge, but when you're being a really lazy fuck, you have to say it and it hurts, but that's the good thing. Yeah. You have to be honest with yourself, even if your ego is triggered by it. Yeah. <laughs> have you guys got any examples of you taking this practice? Actually, it was very funny because before I learned about the accountability in mirror, I actually started writing things on my mirror, even before I learned about that. Like, for example, after I couldn't work in my last company anymore, I was struggling with money and I was, I was just too lucky that my mom was able to help me a little bit. So my mom sent me money, but my mom is like almost 70 years old. So I was, I wrote on my mirror, for example, like how many more times you want your mom to help you? How many more times do you want your mom to struggle with money so that she can help you? Because I feel like my mom had been helping me with money my whole life. I feel like it's time to take charge and, and not need my mom to worry about me, not need my need to use her money just to save my ass. So I, I wrote down on my mirror and, and it really helps because I starting to make plans on how I can start making money and start not uh, needing my mom to, to worry about me anymore. So I wrote different statement on the mirror and every day when I go brush my teeth, I look at the mirror, I would see those statements and it really helps. Like, like work on my fear and work on my decision-making. Um, and I asked myself with the mirror, I said, when am I going to take charge of my life? Those things. I feel like it, it, it is positively affecting my life. Yeah. It's good. No, that goes to a theme we spoke about in episode one, where you knew you were going through challenges related to mental health, but you took responsibility to deal with it, yeah. both for yourself and others. And I mentioned this on almost every episode, responsibility. Once you take control, even if it's not your fault, there's a pandemic. So it's not your fault that you've lost money. Of course, most people have, mm -hmm. but it is your responsibility how to get out of it. And yeah. you use that trigger of your mom helping you and thought, right, no, I want to take full control of this and used it effectively. No, kudos. And yourself, Nick, have you got any accountability mirror examples? I think maybe I, I did it by accident, like journaling, but not often. So like, it's not my habit to journal yet, but in the past I have maybe two examples are like, 
writing like in a notebook, uh, you're watching too much porn. You should probably slow down. <laughs> yeah. Think of a way how to do that. Another one was you should stop trying to find perfect partners because nobody's perfect. Mm -hmm. And like those things, because I wrote them down, I found I could deal with them better that way. Yeah, I see. And let's move on to that topic then of porn and overusing it as a stimulant. Do you mind telling me a bit more about that? Perhaps you first, Ricky. I feel like I struggled with porn addiction for a long time. It's on and off all the time. Like, I found it like in a way that it's really affecting my life because I watch so much porn and it affects my mood sometimes. I try not to watch it, but it, it makes me really annoyed because I still think about it and I cannot focus on what I'm doing. Yeah, also it, it started to affect my, my, my body as well, because I watched so much, uh, it hurt my neck. I couldn't sleep well. I feel cloudy, dizzy, and also uh, to a point that sometimes I feel like huge migraine and I actually puke from the migraine. So I feel like it is really affecting my life. I really need to do something about mm, Okay. And what I did was uh, actually, maybe you have a question for me later, how I'm going to prepare to go back to Hong Kong. Let's link to it. It's like from a porn, um, addiction, I just started to make a a mental health uh, awareness journal. I actually started to make that and I put some intentions into my journal. And one of the intentions is to work on my porn addiction. What I did was I wrote down why I want to do it. So I wrote down how it affected my life mentally, mentally and physically and why I want to reduce it. And then I put down what are my goal. My goal is to reduce the assumption of uh, porn. And then what are the steps I have to do? Maybe delete all the bookmarks of uh, porn, delete all the videos, find new habits. Maybe I can learn something new when I have that thoughts. Yeah. So that's the, this is what the process I'm doing right now. I'm like making a plan and following through. Yeah. It's interesting. You mentioned that yesterday I was reading Tony Robbins book or limited power, I believe. And he comes up with a similar strategy for deleting bad habits or addictive patterns. And one is the pleasure pain principle where you'll perhaps link a certain pleasure to your mm -hmm. desire, for example, porn, and you'll think of the pleasure you get from it, whilst you can need to switch that to pain. And an example I'll use is there was a father who was smoking, like he was addicted heavily to cigarettes. One day his daughter came in and said, can you stop killing yourself? And suddenly he was like, whoa, because suddenly now he associates that cigarette with the pain of his daughter saying that he doesn't want to smoke anymore because all he thinks is that neurological association with that. So it's a habit of maybe building pain into that barrier instead. So it's not as tempting also bring pleasure into something else like you said where i'll use an example from my own and it's not it's perhaps slightly trivial in comparison but i wanted to eat healthier food and i didn't i wanted to stop eating junk food because i used to eat kfc four times a week which was obviously ridiculous and didn't help me <laughs> however i used to associate as soon as i thought of kfc i thought of the joy of eating that zinger burger and the popcorn chicken and the coke and i just thought pleasure and the pain was eating like a salad or a vegan meal then i just switched it and was like okay how do you feel after that KFC? Bloated, mm -hmm. fat. I pictured myself being fat as fuck and so mm -hmm. So every time I, and I did that in my mind over and over. So when I wanted to order KFC, and I still do occasionally, but I'm what but the, the image is of me being overweight, like <laughs> dribbling down my top, having a Superman t-shirt, like comic book guy, looking vile and thinking, yeah, this isn't as appealing. So I think what I'm trying to get at succinctly, which I've not done, is to associate pleasure with new habits and pain with the old habits that you're trying to break. Mm -hmm. And this goes back to Atomic Habits by James Clear, which has taken off the last couple of years. So I think it looks like you have a good strategy for that. I would suggest the pleasure pain principles. So think of how else you can get pleasure and maybe bring pain into porn. That mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah. 
I also read the power of habits in the book. They say that you cannot really get rid of a old habit. But what you really need to do is uh, replace it with a new habit. That's how it can work. And also, yeah, you're right. I associate with pain. Like I associate with uh, my migraine or my neck pain. So what would help is maybe work with your friend, hold each other accountable. So check on each other. Did you watch porn today? What did you do instead of watching porn? Check on your friend. That really helped as well. Yeah. Have you developed a similar strategy, Nick, related to porn with uh, accountability and journaling? My journaling did help because I wrote down how much time is wasted. If you watch one hour per day, how much of that in a week, how much is that in a month? Then you see it's like entire days. Don't want to be hooked up entire days into this thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Similar thing. Uh, I found these notes today in my notebook. Actually, I wrote down from, I don't know what video or book, but it said, if you change your schedule, it confuses your mind. So it, it doesn't know when to trigger your habit. And recently, because we moved to a new apartment, our schedules got changed. My mind can't decide like, wait, so when do I trigger you to watch porn? It's confused. Yeah. I'm going to roll with that and see what happens. Like uh, right now, it's still too confused to tell me when, when yeah. to give me the urge. Yeah. This links to atomic habits where I think the key to breaking bad habits is make it invisible, make it unsatisfying, make it difficult. And I can't remember the fourth one, but basically, yeah, if it's invisible, so you're too busy, right? You're moving apartment, you're doing exercise, you're doing work like podcasting, etc. You're teaching. Suddenly there's no time for porn and it's just out, out of the way and you have to actually go out of your way to access it. So again, maybe deleting bookmarks, getting rid of certain things. Uh, I don't want to use, I'll use this example and it's very trivial in comparison, right? <laughs> About a couple of years ago, I was drinking like 15 cups of tea a day. So mm. my head, I was getting huge headaches and I know this is nowhere near as a comparison to like heavier stuff, but then I moved to an apartment which didn't have a kettle. So there I was, so I'm going to have to have buy a kettle, just didn't drink tea for four months, just because it wasn't there and I have to go and get it. Yeah. And I know that's a trivial example, but it does go to show that the environment you're in does play a part. Just making sure that you have the stepping stones in place to make sure it doesn't become a habit again, I suppose. I also feel like you need to be realistic to yourself. Like you can stop, but sometimes we really, maybe we really need to do it. For example, if you've had a uh, stressful few weeks or a stressful time at work. And sometimes you really feel like you want to maybe watch porn for just to release the, the, the stress. It's okay to do it once in a while. If you feel like you really need to do it, you don't need to really fight against it. If you really do it, but just don't do it often. Yeah. It can be a tricky balance. That I would, yeah. I would disagree with that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. With that, I think it would be a good idea. It's like, especially when you're the most like feeling terrible and then the urge grows even stronger. Yeah. Like, like the chimp. Yeah. 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 That is the best moment to just sit down somewhere and let yourself burn in that desire. Just sit there and burn. Yeah. Observe and burn. I like that. Yeah. Cause I actually mentioned similar to what you mentioned, Ricky, on a podcast creators where if I have a bad day, I'll give, you know, it's a bad depression day. I'll give myself permission just to chill, watch friends, have a pizza, but I make sure that's the last result. So when I know that is the ultimate last result, because at the first sign of trouble, it can be easy to go back to that old lazy habit or the, the old bad pattern. So I think for me, it's just try and make sure it's the last resort to perhaps do that. But I also agree with you, Nick, where burning the desire. I love that phrase. No, yeah. it's, it's not easy to do that. Like it's easy to say, yeah. but it's hard to do because it's really fucking strong. Yeah. It's really sit there and really burn in it. Yeah. And it is literally, I know feeling similar where you really want to do a bad habit. Like, however, and everything in your environment is telling you to fell out with somebody it's raining outside, the bad class at school. Suddenly you're thinking, I don't want to do this. And then you have to observe the emotion and let it pass. 
And that's when it's at its trickiest. And that's the tool for growth, I think. Like we've mentioned with you going back to your separate environments, that's when you can really grow. Notice your growth when you're put in the testing situation. Yeah, like what's the Mike Tyson quote? Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah. And this is an, a figurative example. Yeah, when you're punched in the face and how that works. And the next thing we'll go on to then is present bias. That's something that one of you mentioned, I believe. What do we mean by present bias? Can't exactly remember the person. Oh, okay. We are very, like, how to say it? We are biased by our immediate emotion, immediate, like, we always do things based on our immediate feelings, immediate thoughts, and not to not think about the long-term benefit of things. Mm -hmm. So for example, study, like when, like how we procrastinate all the time, because when we have to study, sometimes we don't study. We just think about, oh, I really want to play games right now. So my, my immediate emotion is like playing game make me feel good. So I go play games instead of studying. But the long-term benefit of studying is you get good marks and you can get a good job in the future. So that is the long-term benefit of it. Mm. But because of the bias, we, we focus on the, the immediate uh, feelings, immediate thoughts, and we just do yeah. whatever we feel good first. Instant gratification. Yes. Um, sure. Also, uh, it's very interesting. Also, that this also applied to dating. Some people only date people where they feel like immediately they will have a reward. They feel good about it. Uh, they look really hot. They look really good. But about, what about long-term? Are they like wifey material? Are they going to be good to you in long-term? So a lot of people would date people just for the short-term. They don't think about long-term benefits. So that's the, the bias. Yeah, for sure. You got yeah. any thoughts about this, Nick? Maybe think of, yeah, like back to dating. Like, uh, I know like in the past I've done something where like, yeah, I use somebody as instant gratification. And I guess if you both use each other for that, the same plan, then it works out. But if one of them is trying to be serious, then it's not cool to do that. Yeah. And I've learned that because I've, I've heard some people by doing that. Yeah. It's hard to establish that from the outset to be like, this is just instant. Yeah. I try and do as best as I can. I say, I'm not taking anything seriously just to let you know, but once it gets to three or four meetings, for example, maybe more, that's when the boundaries can get blurred. So, so we have to be more, uh, aware of this bias. So when we make decisions, we will make better decisions. And yeah. also we will be less um, prone to procrastination. Yeah, for sure. Something that is completely off topic. Not really, actually. It, it fits, I'll say. It's just come to mind. That something I think I've had in the past related to slight problems is social media. Mm -hmm. I feel like sometimes I was actually looking through my life as the lens of social media from the ages of, say, 14 to 19, really, where I would look at something and think, this would be a great Insta photo. And once I finally, it hit me, I thought, whoa, I'm not living my life like this. And I'd see someone put a caption on social media. And it took me a while to realize how fake it was. I knew it was manipulated to some degree, but it took me a while to realize exactly how fake it is. And exactly the fact that I could easily put a picture of us three now on social media, completely different to the reality. Mm -hmm. And it really took me a while to get my head around. Is that something related to social media that you guys have ever struggled with? I know I'm putting you on the spot, but mm -hmm. I'm just curious on your views. Whoever wants to go first, feel free. I think I personally haven't really struggled much with that because I didn't, I wasn't on it that much, but I have seen close friends of mine that I didn't look at, at their social media often. And we hung out for a long time, like many years. And then one day when they showed me their social media and they showed me their pictures and stories, what the way they portrayed themselves is like different than the way that I know them in real life. Yeah. It's like, why are you making that gesture or 
why are you making your face like that or sticking your tongue out? You never do that when I hang out with you. Yeah. But all of your pictures and stories have making that face. Like, yeah, that's weird. How about your relationship with social media? Have you ever, like myself, gone down a bit of a rabbit hole with it and almost, I don't want to sound too strong, but struggle to distinguish reality with social media. I feel like I have at that point. Uh, not really. When I did sometime in the past is I do Photoshop my picture a little bit just to clear my face, yeah. look a little better. If that counts. Yeah, for sure. I think it's definitely natural. And going back to the point you mentioned, I remember a guy at school that I went to school with who in person, really nice guy, like lovely, got on really well. Social media, he'd stop sniping at people and making oh. like indirects. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. I just, this isn't you, yeah. And, and vice versa. Someone... If you're listening, you know who you are. In Facebook, there's certain yeah. groups, there's always trolls. Yeah. And over sometimes we get me really annoyed and I would respond to those tro trolls. And then at some point, I feel like it was a waste of time and a waste of my energy. Mm -hmm. So I just stopped doing it. Yeah, I actually, it's, a, it's funny we mentioned this. Uh, there's a post on my hometown back at home, town back at home, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Great quote, edit that one out. But uh, my hometown, and it was crazy. Somebody put a post at 4 p.m. about a dog and someone about a lost dog. And then somebody parried it, parried it at 6 p.m. about a lost watch. And there were 150 comments of everyone roasting each other, like absolutely screaming. And I thought, these are all grown adults. Grown adults spending their Sunday. How did you spend your weekend? Arguing with Janet from my hometown because he took the piss out of a dog. And I'm thinking, what on earth are you doing? Imagine getting to the end of your life. What did you spend like, your, your time doing? I argued with this guy on Twitter. Like, you don't know these people. It's like, this goes back to the thing from like the social dilemma, stuff like that, that social media knows that posts that piss people off get the most action they get the most reactions comments and i can do a happy face angry face whatever your emotion is yeah, yeah. emojis like that gets more action going on in the social media that's all they care about yeah i noticed when i was in my period of discovering that i was too hooked on social media i would actually read a whole argument and i clocked hang on i've just spent 40 minutes reading this argument and waiting for Nick to follow up roasting Ricky about this sort of thing. And I'm thinking, what on earth am I? I'm part of the problem because I'm feeding into this. Yeah. And that's what kind of since then, I still do use social media fairly regularly. I have to for this podcast. So it's the, mm -hmm. the weird like dual, no, I can't use the word, I can't think of the phrase, but however, I still, I, I've limited it because of that, where two people who you don't know, you're just looking at, and I can make completely random assumptions about your lives. Like I can just go on Nick or Ricky's feed and presume something about you. And I know nothing about you because I've never met you. This is if it's I don't true. know you. Yeah. yeah. It's the same with this podcast. Like I'll look at people uh, on their Instagram to interview. Mm -hmm. I get to interview them and they're very different to how I would expect. Not for good or, or for bad, just different because, mm -hmm. and then I realized that's my responsibility. Just because of their social media, I presume they'd be this. Mm -hmm. I presume yeah. they're A, they're B. So that's my responsibility to now to look at social, someone's social media and take it with a very, very small pinch of salt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Social media is like people are trying to like advertise themselves or market true, themselves. True. Yeah. Like their name is like their brand or something. So like when I see them post, oh, skydive, okay, you're marketing yourself and they get it. But cool, I'm glad you did that. Yeah. <laughs> it's a weird one because I don't really want to hate on people for doing it because it's yeah, like yeah. business, but a part of me thinks, okay, I'll just be normal. But then when I look at my social media activity over the years, and I've done it a lot, because I think I started at the age of 12, 13 which is crazy. And when I look back, I've probably exaggerated stuff. Like when I look back, I find out I definitely have. I've definitely, why am I saying probably? I've definitely done it. And I think it is just because you want to look cool on social media. Like it looks, nobody cares about the, hi, I'm watching Friends tonight. Like everyone wants to see the skydive for the dab or something <laughs> completely different. Yeah. yeah. So it's a weird one to get my head around. The thing is like, even if we start saying like, why can't they just be normal and post regular pictures? It's like also like me expecting them to please me. 
Yes. And like, how much better am I? Just do your thing. Yeah. Like, no, do it. Yeah, that's what I think. I have one thing that's hit me there is the age we start. I started Facebook at 12, 13. Yes. Yeah, I think before that, I got a bit of MySpace Pixel, <laughs> like a little bit, yeah, it was yeah. 2006. So I think my first eight years, I was completely off the internet. And when I look back, actually, and this is something I've not shared before, that's probably my most happiest when I didn't have exposure to the internet because I was just immersed in books. I liked writing a lot more. I loved reading. I liked, I had an imagination. I did watch TV, but eight years old, of course. So <laughs> there was that. And now I think taking this break is good. I don't have a personal Instagram. The only reason I have a personal Facebook is to promote the podcast. So again, it's the, the double-edged sword. That's the phrase I meant to say earlier. I think I was going to call it non-dual sword. <laughs> Different topic. But yeah, it's a funny one, social media, but it can be a source for good if we choose it to. That's true. Yeah. Depends how we use it. Yeah. We are the tools for it. But the things you publish are empowering to others. Mm. Then go for it, right? Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't have to be about you every single time. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Drop the ego. And let's talk a bit about like self-help authors or not self-help. That sounds a bit generic, but maybe authors or any books. You've mentioned mindfulness meditation. Uh, any resources that have really helped you in your journey? Did you share these last time? Do you remember, Ricky? I don't think I did. Can you think about the first game first? Sure. There's like, I'm into non-dualism. And I guess a good, a good place to start that is Power of Now. That's really popular by Eckhart Tolle. If you want to go deeper, oh, other things like Sapphire, Show, Gangaji. I would suggest Gangaji because for Westerns, because she's American and, and uh, it's easy to understand her, yeah. I guess. Although the things she says would be confusing if you're not into not dualism anyways. So yeah. But I'm just trying to see what happens. And then from a dualistic point of view, I would suggest David Goggin's book, How to Step Into Suffering, Just Burn It. How to Be Resilient. Yeah. Resilient as well. Other things like the subtle art of not giving a fuck. Really great. It's good. It's good. Yeah, it's a brilliant book. I read that uh, a long time ago, like five years ago. Yeah. I really love that book. It's amazing. Yeah. Myself and Nick dissected it back in August time. Mm. Yeah. If you ever get bored, want to listen to another pod, Ricky, just <laughs> pop into that one. I actually changed my life a little bit. Like, I mm. don't really care about what people think about me as much anymore. I, okay. I, I guess right now I'm using David Goggins. I just started to listen to his book. Yeah. It's like a forecast style yeah. uh, book. Um, like, because I, I really can relate it. it was, my experience may be different, but I can also relate it suffering during um, childhood life. And I can really relate it to that. So when I listened to it, I also got really emotional mm. about his story. Yeah. Yeah. And then now I, I'm still in the middle of um, listening to it, but I feel like his way of doing things would really help me. Like how um, facing a hard time, how he pushed himself to to go through hard time and out of his comfort zone. So I feel like this book will really help me. So yeah. And also like sometimes I use, I don't remember names, but I use some different TED talk, maybe some TED talk really helpful. Like for example, I recently learned about living your truth. Mm. Like I actually, I heard this for a long time. There's like different terms, like live, live your call. What's your calling? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's your truth? So right now I'm really practicing living, like for example, I'm gay. And in the past, my dad would always make comments to you. Like my, my brother, I, when I tell my dad that I, I have some female friends and my dad will always like, oh, you finally have normal friends. Right. So okay. my dad will, I, I, I think what he means is like, you finally have like straight friends, not just gay friends. Yeah. All that. So now you, you like, I don't think my dad would, would, would comment on that as much anymore because they understand me a little bit more better, but if they do, I would 
really tell them how I feel yeah. they, if they tell me that. And I, if my truth is to tell them I'm gay, this is who I am. So no need to make that comment anymore. Yeah. Can, I shouldn't have to ask you this. And this is personal. So if you want me to retract it, please say, was it a challenge coming out as gay? Because I always find it fascinating that you have to come out and it's like a deal for you personally, perhaps with the issues. Was it a tricky for you? Okay. For me, I never really came out in Hong Kong. Mm. Dude, I never came out to family, a relative. But for me, it's, it was really easy in Canada, in Vietnam, or, or even to my friends. Because I feel like I'm really open-minded and I'm very pay playful. So when I want to enjoy my life uh, fully, I just want them to know. So I can make some funny comment related to gays. So I feel like it, for me, it's easy. I just may be a little bit harder with um, Hong Kong culture. Yeah. Because Hong Kong, there's a thing with Hong Kong, a lot of people talk about how there's a homophobia mm. where people are af afraid, is it afraid? Yeah, afraid of a gays, but in Hong Kong is more extreme. They are, they hate, they're, they're, they're not afraid of gays, but they are, they hate. Like I recently, I just listened to a radio station in Hong Kong. Uh, they talk about how Hong Kong, they hate gays instead of um, afraid of gays. This mindset is harder to change mm. because hate is more extreme. Yeah, for sure. So that is one of the, the thing I, I'm a little bit scared. That's, I won't say scared, but yeah, okay. I say scared to go back to Hong Kong. It's because the gay culture is really messed up and people have a lot of like hate toward, towards gays. So I never feel like I belong to Hong Kong. Right. I see. Yeah. yeah. And one thing that's hit me there is the attitude changing because I did an episode, which is coming out soon. Uh, about reforming conspiracy theorists mm -hmm. where they're so far in the rabbit hole it's very difficult to use logic and it can be the same here mm -hmm. you can't just say they are still the same it's just they feel slightly differently related to sexuality choices however saying that to people especially when there's an emotion of hatred involved can be very difficult so i know this is tricky but how do you think we can develop attitudes develop attitude towards homosexuality I feel like Hong Kong is very difficult because mm. people have been fighting against those hate for a long time and we want protective law for, for gay people in Hong Kong. I don't know that for more than 10 years, we're still fighting for it and nothing changed. Like some, like what changed was some superstar in Hong Kong, they, they came out. Uh, that was a huge step for us already. But other than that, I feel like it's going to be a long way to go, especially now we belong to China and China. It's very extreme mind as well toward these kind of topic. Like even tattoo, like I remember what time was it? Justin Bieber, mm. he cannot come to China to perform because of his tattoo. Whoa. Yeah. So the, the thinking is like Hong Kong people, they're thinking is really extreme. So for me, I gave up trying to change people's mindset. That's why I left Hong Kong. But talking about living my truth, for sure. I, what I learned to do nowadays is to speak up. Because in the past, I could not speak up at all. I was living in fear. For example, I have cousins that always put me down. Even coming to Vietnam, they were like, oh, because of your personality, you're not going to uh, uh, succeed in Vietnam. You're not going to make any money. And I was really put down by them and I didn't say anything because I was afraid. Yeah, sure. So now when I go back to Hong Kong, I'm going to leave my truth. I'm going to tell people how I feel. Put me down or, or talk about gays in, in a bad way. I'll just tell them how I feel and then mm. tell them not to do it. Yeah. I have a question related to your next chapter for both of you. Yeah. What's your ideal scenario of when you go home? So when you go to Hong Kong and when you go to Virginia, what would you really like to happen over the next two or three months? If you had to really visualize it, how you would want it to be, what would come up? Okay. I can go first. Because I haven't seen my 
family for two years now. I would like, I really like to bond with my family. I really like to communicate more with my family. So I really want a better relationship with them. I would say my relationship is not, not good with them, but I just want even better. I want to handle things differently. Like when I have a feeling that isn't good or bad, I would just communicate with them instead of not talking like the past. And also I want them to understand that we all do things differently. So we, we can put the judgment down. A reminder, it's okay. Remind each other what we should do, but judgment, we can eliminate that. So that's really important. And also live by truth again, like I want to speak up like about my feelings. Yeah. Yes. That's what I would do. Excellent. And yourself, Nick. I think ideally I just want to not die <laughs> so I can come back to Vietnam and continue doing my thing here. And then Virginia can do whatever it wants. Yeah. Just bring down. What really surprised me is days is when I talked to my mom on the phone, I think my mom changed so much because in the past, my mom always wanted me to go and come home. I have the baby and my mom always wanted me to come over to protect me so much. Maybe because now I left home for so long and she realized that I've been growing up so much. She let me fly. Like I was like, after a few months, I might want to go to Taiwan and teach or go to Japan and teach. My mom was like, yeah, do you, or, or I might come back to Vietnam. My mom was like, go for it. If that's what you feel like doing. I was very surprised my mom, like seeing me differently. Yeah. Excellent. I think we've almost covered anything, gents. So is there anything you'd like to add before we wrap this up? Before the end? I'd say so, yeah. yeah. Are there any topics you want to talk about? I just want to share about how I'm going to prepare going back to Hong Kong. Yeah. No. So what I've been doing right now, I mentioned a little bit, I've been doing a mental health journal. Yeah. So at the beginning, I wrote some very useful, for example, Denzel Washington did a, a speech before and he was like, how if you don't fail. You, you never try anything new before. So you need to fail to succeed in life. And also I have some quote about living your truth. So that's what I did. And then I started out doing some mental health brainstorm. So it's like, I don't know if I've ever heard of it. It's like a cloud. Yeah. Like brainstorm cloud. So I write about, for example, the main theme is how do I make sure I don't feel vulnerable again? And how do I empower myself to work on myself uh, mentally stronger? So I have different points. So that I started to brainstorm that. And then I started to make some intentions. The like intention is what do you want to change in your life? Like the porn addiction, how do I reduce the usage of my phone? And also I need to, if I want to go to Taiwan to teach, then I need to start planning what I need to do before. And after that, I made some goals um, and the steps, like what are the steps I need to do? So I started uh, doing that. And also in my journal, I, uh, I also write journal entries about my feelings. Like one time I was like waking up at 1am and I feel very annoyed and emotional and I started to writing my journal and it really helps. Nice. So this journal would really help me to, you know, survive in Hong Kong. Yeah, sure. It looks like a nice journal. Thank you. Mine are like piled up there, but yours look better. Yeah. yeah. All right, man. Yourself, Nick, any final thoughts? A random message to future kids again. Yes. Let's go for it. If you live in a place where everyone acts a certain way, you don't have to follow. Like if you live in a place where people usually have low standards for things. You don't have to follow that. You can have high standards, even if that means that you're the weird one. You can be the weird one at high standard. You don't have to follow everyone's mediocre. Nice. Uh, sorry, can I add, add on? Absolutely. Okay, so as you listen to the first broadcast, you had all my uh, struggles and suffer in my childhood life. I just want people, okay, I try not to be emotional. Okay, this is very emotional for me. Um, you need to know that bad time will pass. Nothing is constant in life. Like 
human being keep changing, even bad time, it keep changing. So nothing will stick with you forever. Like you just have to work on it. Don't give up. Things will change because I used to have no friends and I used to feel really lonely. But as soon as I came to Vietnam, I started to make really good friends who really support me, happy to see me, and they helped me grow so much in life. So I, it, it was, it's actually very difficult for me to leave Vietnam because of all my good friends. Mm. But that remind me in good time will come, a bell time will pass, and you will find good friends who understand and care about you. Absolutely. That's nice. Was, yeah. An amazing message to end on. Yeah. Ricky, Nick, thank you very much, gents, and all the very best. Thank you. <laughs>